Hello and welcome to episode 12 of the BMcast. Not a podcast that adds one mana of any colour whenever a land enters the battlefield, but the show about playing Magic the Gathering on a budget. I am Scott and I'm joined by the paper boomer herself, Emma. How are you doing this week? I'm doing okay. I've been pretty busy, so in terms of content, I guess it's the closest thing to magic at the moment. Uh, I've been writing a guide for beginners trying to get into modern from a budget aspect, so people who are nice. super, super new to the format, wondering what to do and whatnot. And also, that would be my 50th article, a TCG player. I can't believe it's nearly a year already. Where's it gone? Yeah, congratulations. Thank you. What about you? What have you been up to? I've been doing a good few things, actually, to be honest. I've been busy, but for a lot of magic reasons. I took part in the early access event for Zendikar Rising, which was really, really fun. Yeah, it was nice to be able to have access to a fully stocked arena account instead of my account, which is missing roughly 400 rare wildcards. I'm even out of uncommon wildcards at this point. Like, Oh, man. It's... (laughs) (laughs) without pumping hundreds into it it's really really hard to keep up but i will say about zendikar rising though the modal dual face cards they're the real deal they are a huge net positive for magic they're just so fun i was playing a lot of constructed not limited i'd imagine they're probably really fun in limited to help like smooth out your draws and all that kind of stuff because that's one thing i really don't like about limited is that sometimes you just draw seven lands and then you die like that's just horrible feeling for me but in constructed they're so good reducing flood and screw in magic for me without eliminating them entirely is very very good it's a net positive it's going in with cycling and kicker on my list of mechanics that i want to make evergreen because they feel so good that's good but playing a lot of standard too, and it's actually enjoyable. What? Like, I didn't think I'd say this, but standard is enjoyable. Now, there are immediately obvious red flags, like uh, some combination of Lotus Cobra into Uro into Omnath, Fable Passage suddenly turn four, Genesis Ultimatum with the Teferi and Anugan. But like, outside of that, it's really, really fun. <laughs> <laughs> so what you're saying is don't go to Mythic. Uh, yeah, I mean, like I'm hanging out around gold, like I'm logging on, I'm doing my dailies and then I'm kind of calling it there, you know. It's definitely fun, I will say, uh, provided you don't like run back to back like a hundred games because then you'd probably lose your mind. But outside of that, yeah. And outside of magic, I have become horribly addicted to Among Us. Oh, I've heard about this. To anyone that doesn't know what Among Us is, it's a little game that's on Steam. It's like four euros, which by the way is absolute stonks. I will highly recommend it. Uh, You can also get it on mobile for free. But basically, you play with either people online or your friends over like Discord or whatever. And you're doing these little tasks on like a spaceship and you have to try and figure out who the imposter is. The imposter is someone that's posing as one of the members of the crew, but are actually going around trying to kill off everybody. You know, you got to try and use deduction skills to try and figure out who they are and stuff. It's good fun. Really I'll good. have to pick it up. I didn't realise it was that cheap. I'll definitely have to pick that up. We'll have to stream it at some point. Do a BM cast among us. We definitely should do that. Yeah. Yes. Thank you for enabling my new addiction, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. <laughs> We've two pieces of housekeeping. I'll start off by saying hello and thank you to our latest new patron, Dave G. Welcome along. We'd only said this recently that the BM cast is now paying for itself. Yeah. Which is great. Yeah, it pays for all our hosting fees, which is a big deal. Not that it's super expensive anyway, but it's just really nice to know that there are people who want to support the cast and see it grow. That leads on to another bit of news, which is quite exciting, is last week we hit our 1,000th download since starting the BM cast, which is excellent news. So thank you everyone who has downloaded and supported the cast so far. Um, It just means a lot and we're forever grateful. Absolutely. Like, I know, I know we talk crap and we're like, oh, stonks. And, you know, honestly, I don't even know why you listen to this, to be perfectly <laughs> honest. We actually just sit around being like, these cards are cheap. Yeah. Hashtag stonks. All right. We're, we're definitely getting off topic. 
because we haven't even gotten to it yet. The main topic of today <laughs> is we're talking rotation. So once a year, we've got rotation where four sets rotate out of standard and the newest set comes in, which leaves standard with five sets. And then the cycle continues from there. So what has rotated? Guilds of Ravnica, Ravnica Allegiance, War of the Spark and Core Set 20. We have a lot of sweet cards that are rotating and some that we are definitely glad to see the back of. But usually when rotation hits, we do see cards fluctuate in price, given that they're not legal and standard anymore. But fortunately, there are a bunch of cards we recommend picking up to take advantage of the low price, even for a short while, that you can pick up to use in Modern or Pioneer. What we're going to do is we're going to go through set by set, M20, Guilds of Ravnica, Ravnica Legions and War of the Spark. And we're going to go through some of the key cards, I think, that are probably worth picking up that are either already seeing play in, like we said, Pioneer or Modern, or will probably show up or get more expensive over time. So first one we're going to look into is M20. This was a really good set. It was quite strong for a core set in particular. It has quite a few cards that are already seeing play in more eternal formats and are definitely among their cheapest, I'd say, at this point. Yeah, so when we look at core sets, they tend to just be reprint sets. When we go mm. through this list, there's some cracking reprints that absolutely see modern play at the moment. And will continue to because they're quite powerful in what they do. For example, the first one on our list. Well, we're technically cheating. The first one on our list is two. Uh, <laughs> they're color hosers. Very powerful color hosers in the form of Veil of Summer and Ether Gust. This is a statement I'm going to make, but they're possibly the most powerful color hosers ever printed. I agree. With Veil of Summer in particular, that card's already becoming quite expensive. It's rising up already just because it sees so much play in Modern in particular, and I think even in Legacy it sees play. Oh, yeah. However, the fact that it's rotating out, although it's banned, it will go up in price just because the set is not as accessible anymore. So that's just going to drive the price up. If you want to grab a couple, I recommend doing it now. In most cases, you don't need four mm. Veil of Summer. It's like two to three. You're usually good because it's typically a sideboard option but yeah it's probably one of the best green reactive cards you can play one little piece of advice that i will give that was given to me is the most important copy of a card in your sideboard is the first one so even if you get one veil of summer that is infinitely better than no veil of summers absolutely and the same could be said for aethergust as well that's a really great reactive answer sees a lot of sideboard play in modern as well they're far cheaper than veil of summers at the moment but again i can see that just going up for similar reasons yeah, particularly in modern, if Gruul, Ponzak style decks keep seeing a lot of top level play. Absolutely. Next up, what have we got, Emma? So next on the list, we're kind of cheating again and adding two cards. So we have Leyline of Sanctity and Leyline of the Void. If you play modern on the regular, you would know that these are fantastic sideboard options. Prior to M20's release, Leyline of the Void was really, really expensive just because we were in a modern environment of Hogak and Arclay Phoenix, and mm. they heavily leverage on the graveyard. This is just a really great answer to have that is essentially free if you're running three to four copies. Absolutely. There are specific decks that want them, but they always see play. Yep. Like Lenon so. Sanctity, if you want to play Bogles at some point, it's a really good option to have. Same for Ad Nauseam. They sometimes put Leyline of Sanctity in their sideboard just to protect their combo. Leyline of Sanctity doesn't see as much play just because giving yourself Hexproof is very situational, but it's mm-hmm. just a really great option to have. Yeah. Next up, we have a little innocuous Uncommon that I feel at some point we're going to turn around and be like, how is this like $8? And that's Empyrean Eagle, the little flying lord. It already sees play in like spirits in Pioneer 
and there have been a couple of like fringe blue white flyers builds and stuff as well we're not really going to see this in spirits in modern because there are just better lords and better cards but in pioneer spirits has always been a good deck like it was even good during combo summer is that what we're calling it yeah because with banned spirits it's just a really good option if your metagame is really combo focused we saw it in modern with kci mm. banned spirits was really good at breaking up the combo it happened yeah. in pioneer for a while when we saw lotus breach and inverter however it's just a really good reactive deck and i'm gonna be biased because it's my favorite tribe i love spirits <laughs> so if you're looking to play spirits in pioneer grabbing four imperial eagles is a good way to go it will probably get to the price of what drug skull captain once was absolutely the final other noteworthy card from m20 craft digger's cage yes this card is really cheap at the moment fantastic card similar to before prior is printing it was quite expensive just because it was a really good answer to hogak collected company it's just a really good option to have also it's often seen in Carnwish boards so you can play it game one because yes. you, you've got a way to get it into play yeah it's just a really great card and again you don't need four like two max and again yeah. once you have them you have them and it's just a really good option to have that's it also worth noting that it stops a row which is yes. very nice now we're going to move on to Ravnica, which was a two-set block. So we've got Guilds of Ravnica and Ravnica Allegiance. Worth noting, we haven't added these to the list, but Shock Clans are rotating. So if you want them, probably pick them up now. It's a bit of a weird one, though, because they're always going to be value. It's hard to tell the price of them, whether it's because of standard or not, simply because they see play literally everywhere. Yeah. This time around, it's different because we have Pioneer as well, and they're probably some of the best mm. lands to have in Pioneer. Absolutely. If you are looking to pick up Shock Lands, I recommend picking up the ones that immediately impact what you want to build or the deck you have, because mm-hmm. that way you're going to get usage out of them. However, if you're just looking to pick up Shock Lands eventually, I recommend picking up the white-based ones. So focus on your Sacred Foundries, your Godless Shrines, and your Temple Gardens, because they tend mm. to be the cheapest, because white's just a bit of an air colour in modern, and <laughs> they just tend to be cheap. Otherwise, if you really want to go for the stonks, go for the steam vents or even watery grey because they tend to retain their value a lot more because they are more played in modern. For sure. But those aside, let's kick it off into Guilds of Ravnica. First up, my baby, my bird, Arclight Phoenix. Let's be real. It's not very good right now. It's all right in Pioneer, but I think Emma made a very good point here and that is it's likely to be broken later. One good cantrip into Pioneer, and suddenly this is probably going to be a tier one deck. It's, it's what I call the Vengevine effect. So Arclight Phoenix is essentially Vengevine, but for spells. Mm. Like Every once in a while, Vengevine creeps out because there's just this one busted discard spell or instant or something that just enables it to be really, really good. And I, I believe the same for Arclight Phoenix. There will be a careful study in Modern Horizons 2 that will just open this wide open. <laughs> Again, as Scott said, they're not very good at the moment, so they are quite cheap. But it's just that effect that can easily be abusable in formats such as modern and even in Pioneer once the carpool expands. Yeah, that's it, exactly. So next we have on the list is Vrasco Golgari Queen. Mm. If you've read my articles in TCG Player, I'm quite a big fan of Vrasco in Rock and John Build. And even before the show, we were checking prices and she's like two to three quid, equates to about three, four dollars, which is nothing for a four mana planeswalker that has an abrupt decay attached to it. Yeah. Like, that's crazy. I would happily, in nearly any format, pay four mana for an abrupt decay that then sits around and gives you continued value. Yeah, it's very good. Planeswalker. Mm. Mm. Next one, we have Knight of Autumn. 
Now, I know a lot of people are very high on this card, and a lot of people are not very high on this card. But I think it's just worth picking up. It's quite cheap at the moment. It's only like a dollar or thereabouts. But it's a great little toolbox creature. It can gain you life if you need it. It can be a good threat if you need it. It can blow up an artifact or enchantment if you need it to. It's just all around good. Like, this is just a good value creature. Yeah, the card's just really good, and it's probably going to see more play than Reclamation Sage. If, if the elf typing is not as important, I just think it's a really versatile for it. It is very good, to be honest. I'm, d- I'm definitely leaning more towards it's a good card than a bad card. Yeah. Next on the list, we have Legion Warboss. It's not quite Goblin Rebelmaster, which tends to see more play, but it's a really mm. good budget option, and it's really good alongside Rebelmaster if you're playing like Aquax style Goblins deck, or if you're looking to play Scred and you want to be more Goblins focused, it's also a really good shell. <laughs> also, it's just fine in like Ponza decks where you just want to be the aggressor. Yeah. I do think there are certain circumstances where Legion Warboss is a little bit better than Rebelmaster. Warboss is good in multiples because, unlike Rabblemaster, it doesn't force all your goblins to attack every turn if able. It's only the token you've made each turn. That can help you keep some of your important threats like Warboss and stuff alive. And then spot removal tends to be better against Rabblemaster than it does Warboss because Rabblemaster throws all of its power onto itself, whereas Warboss kind of spreads the love a bit. So it can be a little bit better. Depends on the circumstance for sure. But yeah, it is very, very good. Similarly... Another very good card. Runaway Steamkin. I'm a fan of this card. (laughs) It's about (laughs) as much as I can give this card. No, I do like it. I don't like it in my prowess decks. I prefer Kiln Fiend or nothing at all. But it is very, very good. And the reason that I'm bringing it up here is because it generates mana, right? There is no way that you can see a card like this where if you cast three spells, you get three mana and not think that there's some way in which you can break this. There's got to be. Actually, Thinking back to our $100 modern color challenge in red, I did submit a mono red storm deck that had four runaway seamkin in it. So, I mean, like you could argue that I've broken it already. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have to agree with you here. Runaway steamkin feels like one of those cards similar to like Arclight Phoenix. There's going to be one card that just breaks it in half and it's just going to be super good. You can play it in prowess decks. It's not normally desirable because it's quite slow. But it is an option. I think it'll be better in Pioneer than it will be in Modern, but it's just a safe pickup. I think at least for the time being, yes, definitely better in Pioneer than Modern. If Modern starts becoming much more linear and degenerate again, and we get another couple of really powerful, cheap, one-mana red spells, then then yeah, I would start getting afraid of the Steamkin there. But yeah, overall, very, very good. It's only, what, like a dollar? Yeah. Stonks. Mm. All right. So, they're the main ones from Guilds of Ravnica. Next up, we have got Ravnica Allegiance. So, this was part two of the two-set block. One thing we noticed before we go into the cards here, Ravnica Allegiance wasn't actually particularly good value outside of the Shocklands. You'll notice this by the cards that we're talking about here. There were a couple of very good standout cards, but outside of that, there was like nothing. Yeah, it was more of a popular limited format. I think the only thing people mm. really cared about was the complete cycle of Shoplands. There's a couple of noted cards that can see some play in internal formats later on. But otherwise, it was quite medium, I guess is the term. It's very weird to yeah. say that about magic sets now. But yeah, it felt very <laughs> medium. Yeah. Ravnica Allegiance was the last time, actually, that I enjoyed Limited. I really enjoyed Ravnica Allegiance Limited. I just liked mm. casting Clear the Minds and Dover the QEs for days. That's gross. I love it. (laughs) All right. Well, first up, we have, well, a card that we're all probably sick of seeing right now, but 
it's probably a good idea to pick up a few and that's Wilderness Reclamation. There's nothing that we can say about this card that hasn't been said a thousand times over by people much more qualified than we are. It's one Pioneer Challenges and Modern Challenges so it's a really yeah. good control option if you want to be in green. Yeah, I just pick up four. Again, it's a unique effect. It's an uncommon and it's likely to see play in those formats so picking up four and you could probably flip them over at a reasonable rate in the future as well if that's your thing. But yeah, it's just mm. a powerful card. Yeah, it's gross. The thing is, I think Wizards have learned from this kind of design at this point. They're like, we can't have something that just untaps a shed load of lands. I doubt we're going to see a card like this probably ever again, at least in this iteration or this kind of design. So yeah, I would definitely pick this up. This is absolutely a unique card. There is no other card that does even remotely the same thing. It's a safe bet. I know it's only an uncommon and at the moment it's only like a dollar or something, but definitely, definitely worth it. Absolutely agree. Next on our list is a favourite of mine, Electrodominance. Oh, it's a favourite of mine too. <laughs> it doesn't see a lot of play outside of the Asphatol Living End shells because you can use it to cast Ancestral Visions and whatnot for free. Yeah. Again, similar to like Runaround Steamkin and Arcglow Phoenix, the card seems pretty busted if something else comes along to enable it. They are super cheap, they saw very little play in standard. And it's probably not going to go up anytime soon. However, it's just a really good enabler. So if Living End becomes mm. a really popular deck again, or Modern Horizons 2 brings more autumn to spend cards and it just really couples yeah. well with it, it might be a good option to pick up a few. Yeah. I'm also a very, very big fan of the Is It Rhinos deck in Modern, oh. where you can just go turn one mountain, exile a Simeon Spirit Guide, cast Electro Dominance, then cast the Crashing Footfalls from your hand and make two four four Rhinos on turn one. It's like, there's eight power on the board. On turn one, you haven't even gotten a land drop yet. Deal with this or die. Yeah. I used to play a lot of Asphatod Living End in Modern and I used to enjoy playing a couple of Restore Balances alongside it and it was just so oh, dirty because yeah. it's instant speed and it's just gross. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love it. The next one we have sees quite a bit of play already, and that is Deputy of Detention. It's sort of like a cross between Detention Sphere and Fiend Hunter kind of thing. Yeah. It's really, really good. It shows up in Modern Inhumans and Spirits and any Taxes decks, Splashing Blue. There are so many different homes for it there. And then it's also just a really good cyborg card for like control decks and stuff to be able to deal with like tokens or random permanents that they have problems with. There's just so many different places that you can fit this in. And honestly, this was more expensive. At one point, this was like $6 or something. Yeah, and you could tell it was intentional that they didn't make this a human. Oh, yeah. Humans still run it, though. Oh, yeah. It's super good. It's really good in creature-based decks. It could be a good toolbox answer if you fancy playing something like Bank Company in Modern, if you want to go a bit fringe. Mm. It's just a really cool option to have, and it just deals with a lot of threats. Again, it's always going to see play, and now Ravnica Allegiance is not in print. That price is probably going to go up at some point. Yeah. My favourite deck that this has been in was Blue-White Soul Herder. Oof, I love Soulheader. Yeah, flickering this to like keep getting rid of tokens or random non-land permanents to just cause havoc. Love it. Nice day. <laughs> Next on our list is Cindervines. Cindervines is an interesting mm. one because it doesn't see a lot of play in modern at the moment, but it's just a really good answer for artifact-based decks. Again, it's like a 50p rare, and it's just a really good answer if you're in burn or a Ponza-style deck. And it just, it does the job quite efficiently. It's not fancy, it just does the job, which is what Gruul does. Yep. This is the kind of card that you'd be flicking through like the 50 cent rare box or whatever in your LGS or whichever and you'll see like six of these in a row. Just pick them up. Yeah. yeah they're good. Oh God, I have cast this next card so many times. I love it. Light up the stage. What a card. I would argue that this is the best red card advantage piece to have been printed probably ever. 
I'll go one further. I think it's Fred Ancestral Recall. Okay, that's a statement. <laughs> yeah, it's essentially Red Ancestral in what it does. Like the spectacle is the red part of it and you have two cars into exile and you can play anything off them as well, just including lands. You're not going to see many red cars like it going forward, I don't think. I will agree with you on that, though I do think it has set the precedent of what red card advantage should look like. Yeah. But that's going to be a hell of a statement for you to stand by because... Yeah. Like, I was about to correct myself and be like, well, actually, technically, Faithless Looting, because of the way that it's utilized in decks, and the same with, like, say, like, Wheel of Fortune and that kind of thing, could be arguably better. But this is just, no matter what situation you're in, it's card advantage. That was kind of the argument I was going with. But, oh, that's a spicy take, Emma. In a vacuum, I think Lie of the Sage is better. I'm happy to die <laughs> on that hill, but I'm quite high on the card, so. I, I don't blame you. It is a very, very good card. I personally wouldn't have put my voice like that out onto the internet, but like that's what's happening now, I guess. So, it's fine. <laughs> excuse me, I'm going to grab the popcorn and just, see, <laughs> just watch this burn. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So yeah, Ravnica Allegiance wasn't super great, but the cards that we mentioned, they are all very, very good and they're all super cheap. Like they're all roughly a dollar each at the moment. Definitely recommend picking up what you can out of that list. Now... Here is what is arguably one of the most hated sets of all time. War of the Spark. Look, I'm not even going to give an introduction to War of the Spark. We all know we hate it. Like, let's, let's just get to the list, right? <laughs> but for real though, demand has definitely shot up on a lot of the cards here because there's just so many that see eternal play. Well, I suppose we're just going to get in and start talking about them, right? Yeah, let's go for it. Well, first up, we have two cards that... I'm not wild on myself. They are very situational. They are a little bit expensive, but we're putting them in because if you do have a plan to pick these up at some point, now is definitely the time to do it. And that is Teferi, Time Raveler, and Karn the Great Creator. Yes. I would put Karn higher up than Teferi myself on, on terms of if you're looking to play them, just because Karn can slit into a lot of different decks and artifacts are mm -hmm. always going to be printed in magic and the wishboard aspect will only get better which will influence its price i'm a big fan of khan the great creator myself but that's because i play tron i play for and run the khan sideboard and whatnot yeah i think the card's great and having a stony silence effect in a colorless color quote mm. unquote is very very good to fairy if you're looking to play blue white control or some kind of jeskai deck go for it. I'm not a big fan of the card myself, but it will see continued play in Pioneer and Modern, just for that static ability. Yeah, yeah, that goddamn static ability. <laughs> <laughs> I actually think I was a little harsh on Karn there, lumping him in with Teferi. I actually do like Karn the Great Creator. I'm considering picking some up to do like a Karn board for Mono Blue Tron. It seems to be the way the deck's going at the moment, but the thing I don't like about Karn is I like being able to sideboard against decks. Yeah. And Karin kind of shuts off like roughly 10 to 12 pieces of your sideboard. So, yeah, if that's the kind of thing you want, then absolutely, absolutely get Karin. Now is the time. But I will definitely recommend Karin over to Ferry any day of the week. So, Sorry to Ferry, but you've ruined too many games on me. <laughs> so next we have kind of grouped all the other rare planeswalkers that might be worth picking up. So we've got Nissa who shakes the world. Ugin the Ineffable, and then cards like Sarkin, and maybe even Domri might be a good shout. Nissa mm -hmm. Who Shakes the World is probably the most important one on there, just because she sees a lot of Pioneer play at the moment in Mono Green Walkers, and her effect is incredibly unique, which will probably see some player modern at some point. And if not, I think she'll be one of the most expensive rare Planeswalkers in the future, alongside Teferi and Khan. Yeah. 
Agreed. Yeah, she'll she'll end up at the same sort of price point as I would say Karen the Great Creator. Teferi is probably going to be the most expensive of all of them. But I think this is going to be very, very close to Karn. Ugin as well, I think, because Ugin does see play already. He sees play in Eldrazi Tron. He also sees play in normal Mono Green Tron. There's like two of at the moment. Mm. Yeah, it's good card draw. It discounts your Tron spells, which is a big part of it as well. Yeah, for sure. And I have seen it show up as well in decks in Pioneer. Even even non-rampy ones, it's just it's a good planeswalker that can just gain constant advantage, constantly adds to the board, can reduce some of your cards, and then also can just sometimes kill stuff. Like, it's really, really good. Don't sleep on it just because it's six mana. Speaking of not sleeping on cards, the Uncommon Planeswalkers. We need to talk about these. Right? Yeah. Particularly Narset Pardor Avails and Ashiok Dream Render. Both are very unique cards. They prevent searching, they prevent card draw, and are also graveyard hate. And Narset essentially has replaced Search for Escanta because it's almost entirely better in every single scenario, especially when you then mix it with like Elspeth Conquers Death so you can get her back later and loop her around and all that sorts of stuff. Yeah, these are insane. They're currently like $1 to $2 at the moment. These are going to be the kind of cards that in three years' time, you're going to be going onto like card market or wherever you get your cards, and you're going to be like, what? There was a lot of the set opened. How is this $8 per copy? And that's because, well, they're unique. They're insane. They're really good. They see play in every format they're legal, in every sideboard. They're really good. I can't stress this enough. Yeah, even NASA is restricted in vintage. That's how good she yeah. is. I agree with you. I think Ashiok's probably the better one to pick up out of the two if you had to really decide on which one to pick up. I recommend Ashiok in a lot of cases, especially with like Pioneer and Modern. Searching is very, very frequent, so it's a really good hate card. It replaces a lot of graveyard yeah. hate as well. It's very similar to when I first saw Aether Vile and saw the price of that because when it was first printed, it was an uncommon. I was like, how much for this card? This card doesn't seem yeah. great. Ashiok and Narset will lend to that as well. But yeah, pick yeah. them up. There'll be really good sideboard options. And if you're wanting to play blue-white control, Narset's just a great option to have. 100%. Next on our list is probably one of my favourite lands to come from a recent standard set, and that's Blasso. I really like this card a lot. Especially in like Tron, it's just a really good tutorable answer. It's made Engineered Explosive a bit worse in some cases, but I just really like the flexibility of this card. Yeah, I run one of these in my Mono Blue Tron deck as well, because it's really nice to grab it with an Expedition map in case you're against like humans or there are any problematic permanents lying about. This card is silly good. And also it's starting to creep up in price as well because it's seeing a lot of yeah. play in modern. Again, you don't need to pick up like a play set, like one or two is usually a good number, especially if you're wanting to play stuff like Tron or Amulet Titan and you just want that versatile answer. Yeah, I've got one for my commander decks and one for my modern decks and I I'll have, just swap them red. I have one foil, one for Tron and that's all I need. <laughs> the next card we're adding this to the list because it's another one of those cards that's probably only going to get more broken the more cards are printed we're talking about neoform obviously neobrand is the deck that sort of springs to people's minds when we talk about this card now you can do absolutely unfair things with it like that or you could just have it as a one-shot pod kind of effect in some decks. Like if you're already in green and blue and you have a good few creatures and they all do some specific things, like you can just throw one in, you know. But generally speaking, like we're mostly have this on here because it's a broken card. Yeah. If you ever plan on picking it up, I would say just do it now. It's like 20 cents. Yep, there's always going to be creatures in magic. And if the way the design is going at the moment, they're going to be pretty powerful. So I imagine there is a world where Neoform accompanies them. And again, they're an uncommon. So yes, they are quite cheap right now, but that effect's very unique. 
I'd recommend picking them up. Eldritch Evolution, you know, that was pretty cheap at one point, but since it's rotated out, it's come to be quite an expensive card. Like Finale of Devastation is a great example as well. That card's absurd yeah. now because it just tutors up and does this really unique effect. I just had a thought. What? Some people are suggesting using the new Omnath in Five Color Niv in Pioneer. That's spicy. Because it's just a very good card. Like Niv can't grab it, but it's just a very, very good card and the mana base can support it. Mm. One thing that's worth pointing out is that Niv can grab Neoform, so you can grab it. But you can also put it in the deck, and when you make a second land drop with Omnath, you can use the green and the blue that Omnath generates to neoform Omnath into Niv. I just realized that. That is disgusting. Yeah, I want to try it. That's gross. So that means if you play Omnath, then you play a Fable Passage and crack it. Mm. You will have four mana. You can then use neoform to sack Omnath, go and get Niv, and still have two mana left over. And then draw a bunch of cards. Yeah, that's disgusting. That's gross. That lends to our next one on our War of the Spark list, which is Nidmizzet Reborn. It's a very unique card. We wouldn't usually suggest this because a lot of decks can't run it just because it is a five-color card. But yep. if you are looking to either have a five-color commander, looking to play five-color Nib in Pioneer or Modern, just pick up one to four because this card will be very expensive just on commander mm-hmm. application alone. Yeah. Niv is fine in Modern, pretty reasonable in Pioneer as well. Again, it's another one of these cards that it's strength is leveraged by the other cards that are in the format with it so the more cards that are printed that are more than one color the better niv it gets yeah niv is not going to be reprinted anytime soon and i know the guys who curated five color niv in its infancy which is the faithless brewing guys and they are super super committed to keeping it work in various meta games no matter the hate and whatnot so mm-hmm. it's going to be around for a long time that's for sure yeah and next on our list is one that you're quite keen about <laughs> yeah all right all right it's ranting time all right so let's just get this out of the way buy a place out of dovin's veto as soon as you can and just hold on to them you never know when you need them now my rant is about Dovin's Veto in the first place, right? Dovin's Veto has had a massive impact on magic in a negative way. This card, right, I can't remember how many times I've had an argument with somebody where they've claimed that Dovin's Veto is a good interactive card. No, it's not. No, it is not. I'm putting my foot down, proverbial and literal foot down, right? No, it says can't be countered and is a counterspell. So yes, it interacts with something that's on the stack. However, it then does not promote interaction. It says, no, you can't deal with me. You can't do... No, it's not happening. That is not like, no. You want interaction, then cards like Aether Ghost or Negate or whatever, they're all interaction. Dovin's Veto is not. I will die on this hill. It is a horrible card. It is horrible to play against. Between it and Teferi Time Raveler, you are essentially murdering the use of the stack the stack just doesn't matter if you're using Dovin's Veto and Teferi Time Raveler. It just doesn't. There's, like, what's the point? Like, I can see on webcam here, Emma's laughing at me because I'm getting really heated about this. I'm telling you, it's not good for any format. It's not good for magic. It's a horribly designed card. It does not promote interaction. It is awful. I've died. I'm on the hill. I'm dead. Are you okay? <laughs> I am, yes, because it's rotating. So- <laughs> yes, cool. So last on our list is Dreadhorde Arcanist, which sees fairly frequent play in Pioneer and Modern at the moment and more importantly it sees quite a lot of play in Legacy. I really like the card I think it's quite cool. It's seeing a lot of play in Red Black Pyromancer in Modern you've got the Feather decks in Pioneer which often utilise it quite well 
especially in magic at the moment a lot of good cheap spells are coming through so it just makes red hot darkness better it's relatively affordable at the moment but i can see oh, that yeah. going up just because of legacy mostly yeah i'm not saying that this is snapcaster level of power but it's pretty close. It's like a red Snapcaster mage, kind of. I actually don't think that this deserves to be compared to Snapcaster. I think it should stand on its own. And if we see another card similar to this, it'd be like, oh, this is a Dreadhorde Arcanist style effect. I agree. That's how I see this card. I think I think I was incorrect to compare it to Snapcaster in the first place. But it is very, very good. Seeing a lot of play at the minute, actually, in Pioneer, in yeah. the Rakdos Pyromancer decks. It sees really a bit of play in modern for a similar reason. There's a red black pyromancer, skeletal kind of build that uses alchemist as well. Yeah, that's gross, and I love it. <laughs> all right, so that was pretty much it for all the cards in all of the sets that are rotating. Yeah. So any of those cards, if any of them stand out to you, it's like, oh yeah, I might pick up a place out of those. Do now is a good time to do it. That will then bring us on to the final section, which is Q and A. And the first question we have is from Alejandro, and they say, Hello, I am a big fan of the BM cast. Thank you very much. That's lovely to hear. And they were listening to last week's episode where we mentioned running Spikefield Hazard in Is It Phoenix in Pioneer. And they were thinking if we thought it could be run in Blue Red Prowess as well. And they're also curious about our opinion on if the Pathway Lands would be better than the Pain Lands for Blue Red Prowess. So... The answer for Pioneer Prowess, I would say yes. Two Spike Field Hazards, I would say. Maybe replace one spell and one land with them. If Lotus Cobra starts becoming popular, then I would maybe consider throwing in another few. And Young Pyromancer, if we see stuff like that around, it'd be good to run more of them because it's just a nice little way to deal with little one toughness creatures. I personally am so high on the card, and I know Emma's as well, that we'd probably love to add four, but it does really, really need as many untapped lands as possible. And at that point, you probably have better spells that you can just force in as well. Throw in like a couple of magma sprays to be able to deal with like scrap heap scroungers and that kind of thing as well. So I personally wouldn't be surprised though if I had changed my mind in like two months time and go, nope, for these spike field hazards, let's go. What about you? What do you think? Yeah, I think I'm with you. It sounds like it's more of a metacall than anything. I don't know mm. what the MTGO meta is at the moment. I suspect it's something to do with Omnap and Uro and Lotus Cobra <laughs> in Pioneer, is, is my guess. I haven't checked. Yeah, I'd be comfortable running like two copies of this into a into a blank meta game, not knowing what I was up against, just because it can be a land and it can kill Uro on the stack and exile it for good, which is also quite important, which we mentioned last week. Yeah. In terms of the new Pathway lands, I would be happy to run four of these over the Pain lands if you can afford it. It just mitigates the life loss. It allows you to be a bit more comfortable against aggressive decks. And if you can afford them, I'd just pick up four straight away. Yeah, same. I would definitely say to pick up four. I am a little more on the side of reduce the number of basics that you have because there's not really a whole lot of non-basic hate in Pioneer in general. Like, sure, we have Cleansing Wildfire now, but like if they're casting that against you... Like, you're, you'll be doing fine, don't worry. Generally speaking, like, an isn't mana base, which is something I'm very used to because they're nearly all the same. I would go with, for full budget, like, if budget wasn't the thing, it'd be four Steam Vents, four Spire Bluff Canal, four of the new River Glide Pathways, and then four Shivan Reef, and then the rest is basics with a balance based on your color requirements. I would say if you're running the Spike Fields, I would probably drop a couple of the Shivan Reef, like maybe one Spike Field and one Island in place. That would be dependent on your colour requirements and that kind of thing. So, oh, We have another question from at KindnessMTG, and they ask, hmm. I'm looking at building out a budget mono-white pioneer list into Orzhov. 
Which two loans should I prioritise acquiring if I'm looking for the most consistency for the lowest cost? Also, do you know where I can find a pile of free Four Caesars lying around? <laughs> well, the free Four Caesars... If you're going with a lot of removal, I would just use duress. And if you're not running a lot of removal, I'd go agonizing remorse. Duress is really good at the moment because it also hits the spell lands. So you can actually make them discard lands, which is a really neat thing I found out the other day. Yeah, that's yeah. fair. Yeah, I quite like duress as just a placeholder. It forces was reprinted in Double Masters as well, so they are cheaper. But I can also respect that they might be too expensive still. I just recommend keeping an eye on the price because Double mm. Masters seems to be getting cheaper and cheaper somehow. Yeah, absolutely. With regards to picking up an Orzhov land base, I recommend starting with the Painlands, especially Case of Koilos, because that is Pioneer legal. I believe it's had two printing since Pioneer, so they should be pretty cheap to pick up. After then, I would look at Concealed Courtyards because having a dual land that comes in untapped is quite important. Now, I don't believe they're super expensive just because they are the white in the two colours, so I think that actually makes them quite a lot cheaper. Yeah, they're quite affordable at the moment, actually, yeah. Um, yeah. God, the shrines you can give or take. Ors of Auras, for example, they only run like two anyway because they don't need the whole four. Is there the pathway land in Ors of? I can't remember which yep. ones we're missing. Okay. Bright Climb Pathway, which flips over to Grim Climb Pathway. Currently just under $5 each. I would say get these now. Yeah, agreed. People yeah. are starting to clock on that they're really, really good now. They've played with the set a little bit and I think they're just going to go up and up and up. Yeah, for sure. These are going to see play, I don't know how many times we're going to say this over the next couple of weeks, but these are going to see play all the way back to modern. I really don't think people are paying enough attention to these right now. Like, I would see these sooner go into decks than the Fastlands, personally. But if you're looking for a budget, Concealed Courtyards are definitely cheaper, I think, at the moment. Let me just double check. Yeah, so Concealed Courtyards are about $2.50 at the moment. So I would say to pick up Concealed Courtyards over the Brightline Pathways if you're trying to save money. But if you're going to be investing in like an Orzov mana base for the format in general, I would definitely say you pick up the pathways as soon as you can. Agreed. Also, depending on the style of Orzov deck that you're playing, a couple of Shambling events would be a good shout as well. Especially if you're like a mid-range control deck, just to have a threat on the board later on. However, if you are playing some like Orzov Auras, it's a bit too slow, unfortunately. Would you believe that I was just about to say you should probably pick up, I would say, two Shambling vent? It's definitely one of my favourite creature lands, probably yeah. ever. I, I actually prefer it to Wandering Fumeral, the is it one, which is yeah. weird for me. Are you okay? I don't know why, but... I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Dovin's Vito really knocked me earlier. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the BMcast. If you have any questions, comments, or sweet brews, you can email us at budgetmagicast at gmail.com. You can follow us at the BMcast on Twitter, search for Budget Magic Cast on SoundCloud, and support us over at patreon.com forward slash budget magic cast. We'll be back next week to give you even more bang for your buck.